We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Hey, everyone. Welcome to the Wednesday edition, the May 10th edition of the RotoWare NFL Pot. Prod, oh my goodness, podcast brought to you by Circus Sports. Uh, we're going to be diving into what I think is going to be a, a featured strategy-esque program for the weeks to come. Obviously, NFL's draft has passed, free agency's passed, less going on, but don't worry. There's plenty in the fantasy sports field. We have best balls. We have the Beat Jim Coventry NFFC drafts up to come. And we're getting you geared up for draft season around June, July, August. Circus Sports is getting Road Aware geared up for that. We'll talk about that a little bit later on, too. Uh, a lot a lot of fun. Uh, but when I think we're talking about football, specifically fantasy football, now's the really nitty-gritty time to determine what strategies are relevant the best kinds to operate and different fallacies and flaws with a lot of the normal things. So we'll be uh, starting really what I think is going to be a, a multi-week strategy discussion, uh, diving in first and foremost with best ball. Obviously we've been partnered with underdog in the past. We'll be featuring underdog for a lot of these conversations this week. We're going to be talking overall strategies for best ball, not, not the, like the, oh, what's best ball, but overall strategies, what Jim and I think are best. And then we'll be deploying those, next week as we kind of get geared in throughout this program. So let's hit the music and dive right into it. Again, welcome everyone to the May 10th edition of the RotoWire NFL podcast brought to you by Circus Sports. I'm Joe Bartle. Alongside me as Always, every Wednesday, Jim Coventry. Jim, I gave a long prelude to this podcast, but it's important because, like I said, we're going to be doing this over multiple weeks, talking uh, different strategies for your how to beat Jim Coventry in the MFFC and other high-octane uh, drafts to come. Best ball formats. We'll maybe get in a little bit of the Dynasty conversational. I know Alan Slazowski, uh on the Monday and Tuesday podcast does a great job outlining that stuff. There's a lot of overall strategy conversation we can have at this juncture. And I know you're doing your fantasy rankings on players every single week. You're writing different articles and different content on TikTok and YouTube, everywhere else. But this is kind of the time where we adopt what will be our plans and strategies and the overall information to ignore or to dive into further at this point. I'm, I'm not off base when I say that, correct? Oh, hundred percent. Yeah. It's, it's going right now. And really I'm, already drafting at some of the heavy hitters. So that's been mm. kind of good because I do enjoy that because I know that their rankings are updated daily like mine and they're, you know, different, but they're spot on with a lot of their takes. So yeah, it's definitely um, always a tough crowd I'm with, but that's the way to do it. Yeah. And uh, I'm thinking specifically you did the Sirius XM expert league post NFL draft. That was, I think last week, again, I've mentioned the uh, beat Jim Coventry NFFC draft. I'm really excited to dive into that. Uh, a little bit further when we get closer to that date. You do the Kings Classic, um, which I know is one of your favorite drafts. You love all of them, Jim. I, I'm not going to put words <laughs> in your mouth, but that's one that you always do the written content for and everything else like that. So there's there's a lot of specific things that you do that, um, while it might not be quite on par with what the audience will be doing, I, I would imagine if you're listening to the Fantasy Football Podcast in the middle uh, or early May, you are excited to learn about different draft strategies, different leagues to participate in, and overall concepts uh, to explore. So that's that's what we're going to be diving into over the next coming weeks. And I think specifically to start out with would be best ball leagues. Now I don't, there's not, we're not doing a Q and A thing. We don't need to describe best ball again. If you're listening to an NFL uh, fantasy podcast in, in May, you should have an understanding of what fantasy football is, specifically best ball. 
I do think there's a, a very easy entry point, as many people do, and obviously Underdog is a title sponsor for, for a number of weeks and months, is probably one of the easiest way to do it. But over the course of the last two or three years, Jim, correct me if I'm wrong, I feel like the influx of best ball leagues has just been insane, whether it be the NFFC, DraftKings. There, there's so many different platforms that do best ball formats. Uh, and I, I really find it to be one of the biggest growing parts of the industry prior, you know, when, when I first started seven, seven years ago, it was kind of like a, Hey, I'll do a best ball league to get tuned up for my regular leagues. And you still can do that. There's nothing wrong with that process, but now there really is a lot of money involved in it. Uh, I think specific strategies for best ball, which we'll talk about today uh, that have kind of risen. And I think there's still more developing planning and strategizing, strategizing to come. The Uh, I don't know if it's my internet that went out or or Jim's, but I'll continue on with the discussion right now until I find out uh, who ended up getting messed up. But yeah, th- this is kind of the overall point for me. And I go back to the best ball league format itself and say, hey, um, what was once just a tool to get yourself prepared uh, and situated for years to come, I'm sorry, for, for drafts to come, has now been uh, revolutionized and industrialized. Uh, asset in the fantasy sports community right now. And I, f- I find that really fascinating uh, in large parts because I, I vividly remember having conversations with uh, other experts, both within the ro- within RotoWare and outside the company itself, talking about different um, different best ball platforms and what they meant to them. It's That conversation isn't the same, what it was five years ago to what it is now. So uh, I, I love that idea and I love that process as well too. And um, speaking of just overall strategies and, and things to include and to think about, I know I've mentioned it in past weeks and past months, um, the idea of quarterbacks and uh, what that will look like in 2023 after we had so many top-heavy quarterbacks play a part in in the fantasy sphere and, and frankly, lesser quarterbacks available now. Of course, the running backs and, and what was a dismal year for a lot of first-round running backs last year. How does that shape things? What does the wide receiver group look like as well, too? A lot of these overarching questions that I think are, are going to be really interesting uh, to dive into as we discuss best ball. And uh, obviously, Jim, you're back now. That's great. Before we do so, I want to uh, get a word from our sponsor, Circa Sports. The ultimate fantasy football draft can only take place in Las Vegas. Circa Resort and Casino wants to bring your whole league to Vegas with the ultimate fantasy football experience giveaway. Bring your 12-person league for a two-night stay at Circa Res- uh, Resort and have your draft at a Cabana Stadium swim spot. Plus, limo transportation to and from the airport, a welcome party at the Legacy Club, a booth at the world's largest sports book, and more. It's a prize package, Jim, valued at over $8,000. There's no better place to draft in Circa, uh, Circa Sports 21 and up. Go to Circa Las Vegas, C I R C A, LasVegas.com for more information. Um, again, it's a two night stay at Circa. Have your draft at the Stadium Swim, plus multiple parties for your league around. Circa, go again to go to Circa C I R C A Las Vegas for more information. I know uh, Jim, you and I are going to be going there for Vegas uh, in what uh, two months now, right? Because May exactly, July. exactly, yeah. yes, it's gonna be awesome. Uh, you're going to be doing content probably there, whether it be on TikTok elsewhere. Yeah, we're going to have live drafts there. Uh, we had I think two or three last year. I would not be surprised given the massive vertical influence. There will be more drafts to come. It's going to be an exciting time. Uh, I'm. I'm Obviously excited that they're a title sponsor. I'm even more excited to be going back there after what was an awesome time um, last year. So, We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. 
Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. I was telling the audience, Jim, before we kind of had the break or the breakup, I should say, that uh, best ball has really kind of industrialized itself and become an institution in its own right. And there's been strategies that have developed. But I think overall, these are going to be questions we're answering across dynasty leagues, uh, redraft leagues in August, uh, best ball stuff now, right? Like there's a lot of different things. And I think specifically we start with quarterbacks and what that quarterback position is going to look like. Go ahead. Absolutely. And I do want to just interject because I'm before my computer crash. I want to add a couple of things. I want to get right. Mm, Yes. So everybody, probably knows this the fantasy community players analysts we are getting smarter and smarter we it's capitalism we are working year round because to keep up with the best to be the best it requires always working so the fantasy player is armed better than ever to be strong in the fantasy contest fantasy managers are smart on their own They're smart for getting multiple opinions. You come here for our take. You'll go elsewhere for others. You get your bank of knowledge built up. You draw your conclusions. Take a little bit from us, a little bit from yourself, a little from someone else. But this is a community. And so we're excited you're here. We're going to give you some really good strategies. But again, they're not the end-all, be-all. It's something to add to your arsenal. Yeah, that's a great point. Um I mean, you and I are both fantasy experts. I I will be first to admit, uh, not just you and Alan and Mario and John and everyone else does the RotoWire platforms uh, and podcasts. I listen to a lot of other places because I do want more information and there's nothing wrong with that whatsoever. And in fact, I think it's encouraging because while you don't want to copy somebody else's model or uh, have the same opinions because you've copied them, there is a bit of a a group think, like a, a workshop kind of deal with fantasy football. And this is a perfect lead into what I, I really feel like are some special keys for best ball and what you're going to do at the quarterback position. Yes. Might be one of the biggest answers. And and you could certainly say that's the case for um, redraft formats out there right now. And I think this year in particular, that's that you have to have an answer for what you're doing at quarterback to start the draft. But I think in best ball, even it's the same thing. It's and it's a perfect test case. Cause again, underdog, it's five, 10, 15, $20, whatever else you do a draft live with people. You're doing 18 rounds, 20 rounds, whatever it might be. And you're having some ideas, some semblance, but there are different strategies deployed in best ball that you might see in redraft. And I think specifically what you're doing at quarterback is going to be the big one. And then I wrote down a few points, Jim, and you can certainly interject at any point with what you're seeing. Um, I feel like in best ball, because you're again, you're you're just picking the, the top scores each week, and whoever gets the highest score is part of your lineup. Typically, you're playing with one quarterback getting points. I know there's been some super flex uh, underdog leagues specifically out there, but for this conversation, it's just one QB. That would mean that at any given moment, if you're taking two quarterbacks in a draft or three quarterbacks in a draft, two are wasted positions. So I think the the idea is, well, if I get one elite one, I could just get one crappy one later, and it's totally fine. Do you feel like that's the right strategy? Because I, I kind of been leaning towards no. There are three strategies that are viable, in my opinion, Joe Bartle. And basically, as you're doing your roster construct, everything comes at a price. There are six quarterbacks that are going early, and they are starting out as early as the second round this year. Mahomes and Allen, and even Hurts. Sometimes Hmm. a second, sometimes a third, not much later than that. And then pretty soon after that, any combination of Fields, Burrow, Herbert, those six, it's those six are going early, not much later than the fourth round. In most cases, you might get one to slip to the fifth. It's been rare. So your that's option one. If you're going with one of those six, you are definitely foregoing one of the top options at running back receiver or tight end so the price you're paying is you have the advantage of quarterback you're going to start out obviously by choice disadvantage at different positions so if you are understanding that that heavy investment of quarterback i don't believe in that scenario you want to double down 
and taking bigger disadvantage in other positions. If you take another quarterback early, you are really digging a hole at running back and receiver. Because like you said, Joe, I think you intimated this. You get one score from a quarterback a week. Mm -hmm. If you're taking a top six guy, you're counting, saying you're hoping 13 to 15 weeks, that's your top scoring quarterback. So you're hoping your other guy covers you for the bye, maybe a missed game, and maybe one or two weeks where your star doesn't have a big game, but you have no idea that that backup's going to score better in that week. So that's option one. You invest heavy. I think you have to cover the other positions before circling back to quarterback later. And I think, and in this case, you're you're taking the gamble. He's your guy. So yeah. I'm can not I, taking three quarterbacks. You, uh, yeah, go ahead. Pause you real quick on that because yeah. I yep. I completely agree. Um, it, it's I've I've actually seen people be like, oh well, I'll just take um, at, at most two quarterbacks because if my stud works out well. Great, you know I'm I'm in contention for whatever whatever best ball format I'm in. Awesome. If he doesn't work out well, well I was toast anyway. Like does it yes. doesn't really matter. Like if I if Patrick Mahomes got injured week two, there was no point. I was never going to make it anyway. So if I taking yes. three quarterbacks or four was a matter, there is a value, and maybe we'll talk about this in the other two different ways in which you're going with quarterbacks. There is some value in taking away high octane options from other people. And that alone, to me, has been worth roster spots in the past, even though I know for certain if my draft goes exactly according to plan and the quarterback that I take high, whether it be Mahomes, Allen, Hurts, Burrow, whatever else, uh, does end up playing 13 or 14 games, I'm only getting uh, – like, there's going to be a zero on the week uh, on the bench every single time. But I'm taking away points from others, and I think that is a valuable commodity in itself. And Joe, there is no wrong strategy. And like I said, listeners are going to get kernels from each of us. That works for you. I think by taking that second high quarterback, you are hurting one other team in the league that needed that quarterback. You're only hurting one other team. True. The other 10 teams are going to get their guys. Therefore, you just sacrificed a running back or a receiver. 10 other teams didn't make that sacrifice. So, and remember, you only get one of those scores in your lineup and you can't trade. So I get what you're saying. Personally, I think you could hurt one team by that. And that might not be the team you're worried about. So that's yeah, where my concern comes in. That, that's a good point. Um, I guess, well, I'm, I'm glad you discussed that because I know there are people who have literally thought, well, what if I take Josh Allen and, and Jalen Hurts in round two and three and I'm just going to corner the quarterback market? I was more saying, like, I'll take Josh Allen in round two and then get Jordan Love in round 14. Oh, like, that's yeah, that's yeah, my yeah. that's my high-octane upside. But I, I know what you're saying, and you've addressed something that, I've actually seen way more in best ball leagues, and I never know if people are uh, – our, our colleague Mario Puig, and I always call myself a disciple of Mario because he does so much and he knows so much. Uh, he'll always say that they're intentionally ruining the pot, right, the, the, that one pool of drafting so they can make one of their shares of a league that they felt was really good better. Like you're, you're overall harming the overall total by just tanking it out. Right? I, I played I, – Jim, I think I did 10 best balls last year, which is uh, far lower – than what I'm going to do this year. Uh, three had four plus quarterbacks taken, and two of them had quarterbacks in uh, round two through eight to that process. Like they were very deliberately and clearly taking them with the intention of essentially sabotaging the rest of the league. That also happened at the end of August. Uh, end of August drafts get a little bit weirder uh, when everyone has their shares and pools of stuff than if you're doing a best ball draft now. But keep that in mind. I mean, there, there might just be people who have uh, other ulterior motives in your draft with you so and they're not winning the league they will not win the league zero times out of a hundred they will win that league because they sacrificed everything else for one of those scores hit their lineup each week so yeah somebody could do that and when you're in that league it's not a fun league because basically it's just who's going to get lucky at that point because yes that does happen but that is not to the person who does its benefit yeah, uh, continue on with the other options at quarterback. You have, yes. There's three different types. So the second one now, we have those top six quarterbacks off the board. And the next one is, you're going like, what I see is my quarterback seven through ten. It's Lamar Jackson, Deshaun Watson, Dak Prescott, and Trevor Lawrence. And you, if you're going with one of those, you have to make a decision. You have to decide that you took them because you didn't get a top six option, but you don't want worse. And when you make that decision, you have to decide, are you sold on that quarterback? If you are, 
you can almost treat them like the top six guy and say, okay, I'm going to deal with it later. And um, I'm going to get the other positions. But if you're taking that quarterback, because again, you're worried about the lower tier ones. So there is a theory where you could take a seven to 10 and a quarterback 11 to 15 and hedge that way because you're not sold. For instance, Lamar Jackson has missed significant time the last two seasons. Dak Prescott has had a lot of down games because there are games where Dallas's defense might be really good. They might run more, and their coaches on record is saying they want to run the ball. So you have and and when we Trevor Lawrence is on an upward trajectory, but last year we saw there were plenty of down games that we're not sure. And then Deshaun Watson last year was not good. You heard me say on this show, I believe it's speed of the game. But if though you're going with one of those guys, you have to decide. Like I said, you come back with another one in the 11 to 15 range because you're not sold and you need one of those guys to be every week, cover injury as well. If you're sold, then you just take one later and you roll with it. Um, I, yeah, I, I completely agree with you on that one as well, too. And that that's, I think there's a melding of the processes where it, maybe I'll take a, a Josh Allen round too. I don't, of the, Early round QBs, he's probably like third or fourth on my on my favorite list. I wouldn't be upset, but I don't I don't I don't really want to target Josh Allen right now. So when I'm using that as an example, just understand it's the first one that comes to mind. Um, I, I like that round two, three, four quarterback, but still getting a later round target as well, with the idea that I'm capitalizing on some possible upside if that situation occurs. I have to identify it, and, and that, you know that's the key, and certainly the key of fantasy football in general, but. If you're not identified in that upside, you are essentially wasting that roster spot in the situation that you're occurring. You're you're referring to, I should say, um, whether it be quarterback seven through ten, and then getting that quarterback eleven through fifteen a little bit later in the draft. That's less of a risk that you're wasting that spot because the idea, at least with the execution of this plan, would be that both QBs do get points for your team at some point because they have the high upside ranges that you're sort of accounting for. Yes. Now. When we're looking at that, if you're going with that 11 to 15 quarterback, I really I already named the four in the first year that I would target again. Mm-hmm. It would, I would repeat, it would be Lamar Jackson, Deshaun Watson, Dak Prescott, Trevor Lawrence. If I'm circling back because I'm not sold, but I needed a quarterback there, I'm coming back with either Kirk Cousins or Aaron Rodgers are my targets. And the 11 to 15, I think those are the two guys because I think they both have you know that boom bust potential and they are very nice fill-ins. Because at their draft cost, you never know when you're going to get that spike week, and they actually would overtake your starter. But also, if they if your starter gets hurt, they should have a high enough floor most weeks. Kirk Cousins led those two implosion games every year. We know that's coming. We still know when they're hitting. So those, I think, are the two prime targets if you're going with that follow-up with 11 to 15 range. What's the third option when it comes to targeting quarterbacks and kind of playing that roulette of sorts in best ball? Yes, the third option is if you're not going with any of your top 11 or so and you you get outside that, you know, Jackson, Watson, Prescott, Lawrence range, and at that point, if you're not sold on somebody, you have to take three. You must take three quarterbacks because you are playing roulette at this point, and you can win with this approach. But really, I'm taking those three quarterbacks, but they need to be on my board between quarterback 12 and 24, and if I can swing it between 12 and 20. That might mean I'm stacking picks. That might mean 11, 12, and 13th round, you know, 11, mm-hmm. 13, 15th round. It means I might be stacking those picks up there. But um, that if you're going to go outside of your comfort zone of what you consider the startable quarterbacks – and you might have, and everybody has a different name. Like people have Daniel Jones in that first year. Right, right, right. That's fine. Whoever, however you identify the tier, but you need to take three if you're operating out of nervousness that none of these guys is your guy. Yeah, that's why we're talking strategy here. And again, I'm naming Josh Allen. You mentioned Daniel Jones. You said Lamar Jackson. We'll name names so you can kind of understand a general tier. But my my thought is when doing these exercises in these podcasts in weeks to come. You, as the listener, are already putting together your rankings of sorts. I think that's probably one of the biggest keys. Maybe that's another podcast, too. Biggest keys to fantasy success. You're putting together your own rankings, your own ideas. And, and great, maybe it is just copying Jim's stuff. He's excellent. He wins every league. He's in every way. You should be copying Jim. But if you are, as long as it's your own league, like you have an understanding and, and concept, a model that you are trying to adhere to, you're going to have fluctuations and you want to deviate. But that's that's kind of what you're trying to operate on. So when you're naming names, it's, it's not because Daniel Jones is the tier three QB. It's that he's 
for a lot of people, what represents that round or that tier? Um, have you done a, a, a decent amount of best balls thus far or kind of just a few? I know I know you did a lot pre-draft. I, I don't know how much you've touched on it recently. Two since the dra- NFL draft. Plenty okay. before. Those will trickle in now. They'll, they'll really pick up as time goes on. But um, two right now. And and I'm – well, before we get to trends, I want one more word on the quarterbacks too. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So if you Some people play a lot of best ball leagues. I think trying all three of these quarterback approaches makes sense. Diversify. It's like the stock market, right? You want some safe stocks. You want some ones that are volatile. You want to test out different ideas. So if you're playing a lot of these, try some of these different ones. If you're only playing one, two, or three, then maybe you pick the one you like best and just roll with it because at that point it's probability. You might have a different quarterback in your top three. So I do think that diversifying when you have a lot of shares, but if you don't, Decide how you want to go about it. Do you want to just stay the same way or do you want to branch out? I just want to add that in, Joe. Yeah, I think that's a really good point as well, too, um, to, to include. I always think back to – so I, I play uh, typically 15 redraft leagues or, or around like some dynasty stuff in there every single year. Yes, that's too many. Uh, I would imagine your favorite fantasy analyst probably plays more. So I understand that there's there's people on a very large spectrum. Like Alan Slazowski, I think, is in 74 dynasty leagues. Uh, and counting, I think every hour, it's like uh, another <laughs> one who's into the group. So, f- fifteen might be a lot, might not be a lot to you. I, I'm not. That's not really the point. I always feel like the first couple of drafts that I do, and again, that's typically for us in this industry, mid July, late July, maybe even that's too late already. Um, I'll have a certain idea. I'll have an execution in place. I'll feel good about it, or I don't. And I'll look back at what drafts I do at the end of August compared to those end of July ones. Be like, wow. That was wildly different. Sometimes that's good. It's because I have practiced and executed a plan. I was able to adopt it knowing the members of my league. Other times, and I, I'll, I'll date this to Chris Liss, who has a lot of really fantastic ideas, specifically with draft strategy, is I've become too inundated with information. We've done too many podcasts and shows together. I've read way too much stuff. And what I felt like were my core values of the draft season get molded, changed a little bit, and then it isn't so much what I feel comfortable in my drafts. And you know, those don't work out either. That's why I think figuring out your plans of attack now and again, going back to your rankings, whether it is just copying gyms or not, your rankings is a really, really big key for that. So um, any other things about quarterbacks? Otherwise, I want to dive into the running back a bit more. Yes. Uh, so there are three quarterbacks that I want to make interesting points about. Okay. If you need a third quarterback and it's a 20-round draft, take Mike White as mm. the, in the 20th round. Look, Tua Tungo Bailoa, we have no idea if he'll play a lot of games, if he'll play some. But last year, and I hope his health, I, I'm concerned for the young man that I want him to be well. But based on last year, there's a reasonable chance he misses time, and there's a, there's a chance he misses a lot of time. And Mike White is not a good quarterback. Let's get that out of the way. But when you go from the New York Jets, you go to where you could just dump the ball to Tyreek Hill, Jalen Waddell, Devon A-Chain, and get the ball in speeds, hands, very quickly. You don't need a high-end quarterback to put up big, big fantasy production. And in that friendly, friendly offense, remember, this is the same offense that Brock Purdy <laughs> was able to run to success, Mr. Irrelevant. We've seen a lot of quarterback Nick Mullins over the years. We've seen a lot of quarterbacks who were not maybe great quarterbacks look really good for a stretch. But to have Tyree Hill and Jalen Wilde and Devon A-Chain, you know, a few catches a game out of the backfield, that is going to be interesting. Also, Ryan Tannehill is not mm. a bad lottery ticket. If the Titans come out and they get back on track with their play-action game and they're a line, is a, they brought in line talent. If he gets that play-action game, only he has Traylon Burks, Chiggy Okonkwo is coming up. But if that doesn't work out, there is a really fair chance that he gets traded to a contender that needs a quarterback or if a quarterback gets hurt, he could end up on a different team. And again, Ryan Tannehill may not be the world's greatest quarterback, but you put him in a good situation. You protect him. You give him play action. He can make the throws and he has a little bit of mobility still 34 now, but again, lottery ticket really late. The last one. Now he'll go in those middling rounds, but a perfect best ball guy is Jared Goff. Last year, when we saw his numbers, the splits were crazy. He only threw like a few touchdowns on the road, threw a ton of them at home. 
That's a good best ball game. And I believe that's sustainable for a quarterback like that. A lot of people love Jared Goff, think he's a super quarterback. Look, he has a lot of limitations. But there's times where these quarterbacks are more comfortable in the home field. And I believe last year was not an anomaly. I believe his numbers at home are going to be significantly better. And for best ball, if you're going to tell me you're going to get five, six spikes weeks out of a guy when he's at home, I love that for best ball. I love all three of those names uh, and and different variations, right? Because I think for a lot of people, oh, yeah, re- recommend Ryan Tannehill to stay in the Titans. And you're like, no, no, no. Actually, I think t- Ryan Tannehill is more valuable if he literally is not on the Titans at all. Yes. I completely agree. And I wrote about that in the day two breakdown um, that I, when they took Will Levis, is I, I truly believe the Titans will not have Ryan Tannehill and Derrick Henry on that roster over the next 24 uh, months, maybe even less than that. Like, I, I really think both are gone, which is why I find less value in Will Levis overall. Um, when we're talking about Jared Goff, that's the quintessential guy that you'd want to have uh, if you're taking quarterback seven through 10, but also want some points, some production. If Lamar Jackson would get hurt, for example, I'm just naming names uh, there. And, and I would never have thought Mike white of the best balls that you did. Was he getting drafted? Like were, were they going that deep? I got in one of my drafts. I took Mike white in the 20th round. Okay. I didn't like my quarterback room. I didn't like the players that fell late. And I thought to myself, you know what? Lottery ticket. It's perfect. So I do I, I do the underdog best balls, but I really like actually doing the 30-round best balls on the NFFC. Everyone knows the NFFC for the Rotoware Online Championship. Great tournament. Definitely should do that. Participate in that, especially in Jim Coventry's one coming up. Uh, and and the many other ones that the, the experts do throughout the course of the season. But the best ball format there, especially when it's extensive and longer, it adds value to the guys like me who know the NFL, who studied it uh, quite a bit, who've been keeping track of the transaction tabs. And um, so the Mike White's the world, actually, I find I find very valuable. Like, for example, last year I did a 30-round best ball. I got Daniel Bellinger around 27. That was when we thought Ricky Seals-Jones is going to be a starting tight end. It's like, <laughs> no, it, like I, I I just know historical yeah. facts and that Ricky Seals-Jones is not a starting tight end. And, and, and historical facts would say, too, it probably doesn't stay healthy for the entire year, which would make Mike White a possible value guy. I love that call in deeper best ball leagues. Let's talk about running backs uh, now because I think we've given enough overarching thoughts, um, at least strategies on quarterbacks. We've talked about it a little bit in podcasts, and I know for future ones, especially as we get to redraft strategy and um, things like that, what do you do with first-round running backs is going to be a big key. If if you needed an answer for if you want to take a top-end quarterback, the second question on your bingo card, I guess that doesn't make sense, but either way, uh, for how you want to plan for fantasy football this year is, do you take a running back in the first round? You did the SiriusXM expert draft post-NFL draft a couple weeks ago, all running back heavy. We are, we as experts, maybe me, I don't know about you, Jim. Me as an expert wants to be safe. I don't want to get ridiculed. I don't have the gonads like Alan Slazowski and take uh, B. John Robinson number two and uh, have the whole chat room laugh at me. I, I don't want that. So I'll take a running back. Uh, I'll wait on quarterbacks. I know that's what all my other expert friends are going to do. That's not how it gets played in August. It's not how it gets played in July drafts or June drafts uh, when you had a couple beverages and you're like, all right, hey guys, let's, let's, let's do a draft. It doesn't work that way. You take risks uh, when you're having friends with uh, fun with your friends and family. Do you feel like we're going to see less running backs in the first round than ever before? And if the answer is yes, because I kind of know where you're going with this, Jim, uh, how should a user deviate or react to a situation like that? You know, a little framework on this. So most years in the last five, the early drafts, very early before the NFL draft, we'll see that influx of more receivers in the first round. And and then we get, as you said, Joe, past the NFL draft. And then the experts will start to gravitate or deviate back to where they were. So like you said, safe, take the running back. I honestly thought this year would be different. I thought this year it would stay a little bit receiver heavier. I believe there were five running backs in the first seven picks taken in that serious XM post draft draft. And I, my draft board is set up in such a way that I have Christian McCaffrey at number two, and I will take him at number two. Other than that, I have Austin Eckler at number 11. That means I have Travis Kelsey in like eight, nine receivers in my first 12. My draft board is not changing. I'm not, that that part of my draft board is not changing. I always change my draft board. That part is not changing. 
I am very likely, unless I draw that two spot, I am taking a receiver in the first round. And I am not thinking twice about it. And the way my draft board is set up and the way running backs are going to appear to go, I probably will take two receivers in the first two rounds. Mm. I am finding in these early drafts that I am able to come back with running backs, either two or three of them in the third through fifth round. So I have very good receivers and the running backs that are falling my way. And we can discuss any of them you'd like guys like Aaron Jones, Kenneth Walker, I know, I know, Zach Charbonnet, I get it, I get it. James Conner, Damian Pierce, Miles Sanders, these types of guys, and people might not like any of them, but they're falling to me in that it, to that third through fifth round to get at least two, maybe three of them. And I'm okay with that if I have two elite receivers to start the, the festivities off. So you're essentially uh... – saying I, I'm going to build my team around my receivers. Not even so much that they're safe, but they are safe. They're going to give me a certain floor. Uh, well, so, so I guess, are you doing it because of the receivers or are you doing it because you know you're getting value at the running backs around three through five? Because that was my strategy last year. I was taking wide receivers uh, begrudgingly. I, I want certain running backs to way more last year in the first round than I will this year. Um but it was like, oh, there's so much value. I can I can go ahead and get um, I, well. Allen kept using Ezekiel Elliott round four. That wasn't a great example. But there was uh, Elijah Mitchell was was my favorite guy in round four, five, and six last year. Also, didn't work out for me. Actually, egregiously worse. But I loved Elijah Mitchell in that same range, and I was adopting what I did in the first and second round based off of my knowledge that would happen in rounds three through five. So are you doing the same thing, or is it more like? I want these clear receivers upgrades at, in round one and two, and I will take whatever running backs that are coming afterwards because that's what strategy I feel comfortable with. So again, the way my personal draft board is, I mean, I'm looking at it right now. As I mentioned, I have nine receivers going like in the first round in mine, but it's not getting drafted that way. Have right. running back. Mm-hmm. My, maybe my second round. Now my 11 through 20, it's predominantly running backs. But the problem is, when it comes to picture 11 through 20, a lot of those running backs are now off the board because they went early. So uh, those receivers I have higher on my board, they are available. So with that second round pick, top running backs are gone on my board. Garrett Wilson sitting there, Jalen Waddle sitting there, maybe T. Higgins, maybe Chris Olave, may, maybe Amon Ross St. Brown. They're sitting there, and the running backs I had as the top options are gone. And I, I see a lot more warts on the running backs than I see on those receivers. I, I'm one, everybody can get hurt, but I ascribe to the idea that running backs are more likely to get hurt than receivers. And I know people will do studies back and forth, this, that, and the other, but I am kind of set there. So if my top running backs that are on my board ahead of those receivers are available when I pick in a second round, I will take them. I, I, I say mostly true to my board, but it's just shaking out where it's receivers early. That's how it's shaking out. Okay, so you're you're going more on the receiver mold. Oh, that's good. I, I know this is best ball one on one, but the other part of this is that you can't pick up whatever hot running back free agent there is. You, you when you're playing best ball, you're doing so with the understanding that your bench is going to be the one that fills in, whether you want it to or not, whether it's a good or bad bench. So that's why I think uh, assuming running backs would get hurt is fine. I don't care what the case studies might say that would indicate otherwise. I, I would operate the same way. I was pretty adamant January 1st, right? Those last few weeks of the regular season um, that Bijan Robinson was going to be a first round pick in fantasy. Check that box emphatically. Uh, and that we were going to see more receivers in the first round. I was pretty stunned to see your results of the Series XM fantasy draft post-draft last week. I don't think that's a very clear indication of what we're going to see in the weeks and months to come, but you and I and the rest of the fantasy industry does influence things a little bit. And if we are beholden to the fact that we want to be safe and and not look dumb with our picks, we might see running backs go a little bit higher than they should. Now I know you're going to be pushing the envelope and making sure everyone takes receiver and you should, I will be following in suit because I'm, I'm right there with you thus far. My early preparation, I should say for fantasy draft season, I, I am, I'm wholeheartedly of the idea. It's not so much value, in that round three through five, even though there is at running back, it's that I want to have quality receivers 
early on, and I think there are a lot more quality receivers than there are running backs. And then, Joe, what we have is, so when people are grabbing running backs early and you or I are grabbing receivers early, it flips after that second round because the other players realize I now have to get receivers. That opens up a possibility for those second and third tier running backs to fall, and they fall for you. Because everybody else, not everybody, but many other players are in need of those receivers. So you create a market that's favorable to you by going against the norm, but it falls back to you. Now, the argument can be made, the teams that went running back have strong running backs and weaker receivers. I may have stronger running backs, I mean, stronger receivers and weaker running backs. So some people may say that correlation comes out in the wash. But I am sold enough on a number of my second and third tier running backs. And again, with the injury risk and the volatility at running back, I think I would rather bank the high floor, high ceiling of those receivers. And the, in my mind, the likelihood they're going to be on the field more. I think that's the win personally. Uh, one cliche, a program, what you're describing is zig while others are zagging, Jim. That's, that's what, that's what we're going with. Um, I, I, I want to talk names for best ball in, in the podcast to come, because overall this is kind of a strategy segment thus far, at least strategy show. I, I, I did a little bit of research shockingly, Jim, uh, for the podcast prep. And I was looking at the top overall scorers from this past season based off ESPN scoring, obviously underdogs different, right? You could have all these guys and, and then maybe Ramondre Stevenson, for example, wouldn't play because you had all the top studs. So based off ESPN scoring, Tony Pollard, Ramondre Stevenson, Josh Jacobs all finished top 10 among running backs, but all were drafted outside the round five, more or less. Uh, you know, there's those weird ADPs. For the, for the most part, round four and five, all three were taken directly after. The Raheem Mostert, uh, uh, McKinnon, and then Khalil Herbert, all were multiple weeks of fantasy scoring, I would assume, in under formats because they were top 20 or top 15 through top 25 in ESPN fantasy scoring. So there becomes a situation, Jim, would you rather load up on the backup running backs? And um, Pollard would have been one of those, obviously an earlier round, but you know, like the Alexander Madison's of the world. Uh, and in this case, Khalil Herbert's of the world, or would you rather get wide receivers later in the draft, knowing they're going to start uh, and, and get consistent playing time, even if they, they don't have the pop off ability. Like how are you really trying to maneuver the depth part of your best ball lineup. Yeah. The problem with some of those running backs is you don't know which of those backups are going to be the ones. And that's the problem, right? Cause if we knew they were going to be, they wouldn't be backups, right? They wouldn't, or we wouldn't be grabbing them <laughs> right. in the 15th round. So that's like the, you know, the problem that we face. So I view it this way. Every draft is like an artwork. You could plot out your positional ideas for the first six rounds or so. That is absolutely acceptable and fine. If the board totally teaches you otherwise, you might go against it. Once those first six rounds are going, it's very important to look at the board and see what values are being presented to you. Now, I don't use my straight one to 400 list. Yeah, I know it's 400. You don't have many traffics, whatever. But (laughs) – What I do is this on my draft board, I have each position tiered. So, I mean, I have my quarterbacks, running backs, receivers, tight ends. And then I, as the draft goes, I look at each list to see what is upcoming for me on my list. Like what, how many more running backs are acceptable at this next tier for me? How many receivers? And I look to see where I'm at in the draft and which of those I want to take based on what I feel I'm going to get. The draft teaches me these things. It's about pliability and flexibility. Every draft is a life of its own. And going with that, I think, is where you have to be to have success. Because if you go into the preset mindset, I am taking DJ Chark in round 10 no matter what. Okay, that's fine, and that might work. But if the draft presented you with an opportunity of something that you, you shouldn't have passed up, you got into a fixed mindset, and that fixed mindset potentially hurt you. You could have, in that particular draft, maybe, maybe you could have gotten Shark in the 12th round. Yeah, that's a good point. I guess, so I want to I play out this thought process for you because I, I would agree with you, but I want you to, to illustrate to the, the audience. So DJ Shark in round 10, fine, that, that's not a good idea. 
what about I need to have five running backs uh, in my 18 draft or 18 round underdog, or I want to have seven wide receivers in my 18 draft. There are plenty of articles out there. There's plenty of articles on our site that tell you the optimal different lineups that you want to have. And, and I think what you're saying, and I agree is don't actually follow that or, or, or don't, don't follow to a certain extent. So can we elaborate on that further? Yes. So, would I like to have six running backs, seven running backs? Yes, I'd like to have those. But if they're flying off the board at a clip and I'm taking players that I have no belief that they're going to do anything tangible and there's a receiver there that I really feel has 420-point weeks in him, I'm going to take the receiver. If I have more receivers, I'm going to do that. I'm not going to take a running back because I need X amount of running backs. I will take them if I feel they're valuable to my team. And I've gone into best ball leagues with come out with four running backs or five running backs because I just felt there wasn't a player there that was going to help my team. Some of those teams worked. Some of them failed miserably because of injuries. But it didn't mean that the when the injuries hit, if my last player was, let's say, one of these late running backs, it was one of those backup running backs that didn't hit. He's useless to me anyway. We don't know that they were going to hit. So – like I said, it's about pliability, and if you target certain running backs and they fall, and I know you don't want to talk a lot of names, but I just got to throw some reference out. Like for that's this okay, year. no, that's good. So, like this year, Antonio Gibson's falling precipitously. Hmm. He's the receiving back there. I mean, JD McKissick's gone. Gibson is an excellent receiver. Brian Robinson's not out there catching passes. That's not happening. Gibson's falling in the double digit rounds. He's going to catch. 50 passes, 60 passes. So guy like him, but later there are backups. This so backups that aren't getting targeted this year. Chase Brown, it's early. People might change, but people yep. are are nowhere near Chase Brown. I'm 15 rounds into a draft and I'm I'm I keep pushing him thinking I'll get him later and I might. But I think he could move into a prominent role in in Cincinnati. We don't know what Joe Mixon's deal is. They could let him go at any time. And Travion Williams smoked this week. Not buying that. So I target him. Tank Bigsby. I know people hate him. He had a horrible offensive line at Auburn. But if he goes and let's say Travis Etienne, hopefully he plays all something in, but if he misses time, he steps, he likely steps into a role. And they're going to be a passing team this year. That means he's going to have light boxes to run against. Jerome Ford. There's nobody behind Nick Chubb. Right. Nick Chubb misses time. There's really nobody there. I'm not, you know, they have Demetric Felton. He's a nice pass catcher. But, I mean, these are guys, they're not getting sniffed anywhere in any reasonable rounds. I can't believe no one's talking about Chase Brown or Bigsby. The, the Jerome Ford one, if you were to say, hey, who's your favorite guy that no one's ever heard of or talked about? But like, oh, Jerome Ford, all, all 100%. I thought he was a really good talent. Uh, I think it was out of Miami last year. Obviously, they had Kareem Hunt. The Browns. So, like, the situation with the Jaguars, if ETM were to go down, let's just say, in training camp, they would probably sign a veteran running back. There, 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 might, there might be one. There still are plenty on the wire uh, right now that you go ahead and insert and would maybe take away snaps from Tank Bigsby. The same could be said for Chase Brown. I don't think the Bengals will, to be clear, but they could, especially if they were to cut Joe Mixon. You're, you're saving money, bringing a veteran guy who, name alone, thinks he'll get a starting spot, even though I think Chase Brown's pretty good. The Browns don't have that flexibility to do that. They already have so much invested in Nick Chubb. I really believe Jerome Ford is like that that quintessential guy. No one is thinking about. Is very clearly defined in his role. Uh, kind of like uh, shoot the when the when the Texans had uh, their kind of weird running back situation from a number like Duke Johnson when when Duke Johnson like randomly at the end of the drafts uh became like a third or fourth round guy that worked out horribly as my friends will always tell me because I was pretty convinced Duke Johnson would be a thing but it, it is it's it, or like when Spencer Ware was the starting running back for the Chiefs he went down with injury Kareem Hunt came in then Kareem Hunt was a thing the entire year I mean it's I really think Jerome Ford is a perfect example and nobody's talking about Jerome Ford. Nope. We might be the first podcast in the history of the uh, <laughs> non-dynasty community to mention J Jerome Ford as a valuable asset in 18 round drafts. I, it, he fits that, that role for the Browns really, really well. Offensive line. If Deshaun Watson is at all back, they have a receiver group that I think defenses actually have to think about now. So mm -hmm. this could be a yeah. good offensive line, light boxes, 
we see a lot of replacement level running backs do well in those situations. And I can't tell you what Jerome Ford's going to be because he had eight carries last year. But I can tell you if he has an opportunity, there's going to be opportunity to produce and put up fantasy digits. Yeah, there's, uh, I guess, two other questions I have for you from the underdog perspective. And I know you said, let's be pliable. I, I completely agree with you on that. I also know, gee, uh, my board says uh, this wide receiver looks really good, but I've already taken four in the first four rounds. I need to take somebody else. There there becomes a point in a draft where you're like, all right, I, I, I need to deviate from the position. And if you and I are both of the belief that wide receivers will be drafting wide receivers early, I can still see myself taking wide receiver in round one, two, and three. But after that, I'm going to be like, okay, I, I can't. I, like, I literally need to deviate to another position, um, depending on what the board is indicating, a quarterback or running back or elsewhere. Is there a line of demarcation for you specifically with, with those receivers where you're like, all right, I, I need to look at, at running back? Is it uh, two receivers, given that you like the guys rounds three through five? Yeah, I look, you can't, and not in my opinion, punt quarter, I mean, punt receiver or running. You cannot punt those. You have to have players. So as you're navigating those first eight rounds, you've got to come out with at least two running backs, in my opinion. And you've got to come out with three receivers, whatever you do quarterback wise or tight end wise, however you want to address that fine. But if you don't come out with that, I don't, you're really counting on luck. You're counting on Mm -hmm. hitting fire with these running backs that may not even play. So Yes. Can it win? Yes. Probability, all kinds of crazy things happen all the time. But honestly, you've got to get a couple of at what you feel to be viable running backs and they're going to dry up. They're going to dry up by round seven or round eight. So if you don't have a couple of them by then, that's a problem. So with receivers, hey, if you go the first three rounds, take three straight receivers, you could probably still make it. I'm finding running backs in round four and five that are good enough that you could get by. That means you're going to go quarterback a little later tight end definitely later there's a lot of configurations but yes joe you've got to come out with some running backs really before round six i think that's a a, it's a really important key because you might be the best at identifying the chase browns and uh, you listen to this podcast and you're like oh jerome ford is a steal uh he'll for sure be a factor in my lineup and you can pick any x number of guys you know whatever this year's tony pollard is going to be and you could say that will be my running back two or three at some point in the season. I'll be good. That's why I could take wide receivers later. The luck thing, it's, it's, you just, that's a huge factor in this. It, it, it took a little bit of luck to have Tony Pollard be what he was last year. He was a really talented guy, but to have him get multiple games with 20 plus carries, that doesn't happen if Zeke doesn't get hurt throughout the year. Uh, and even still, when Zeke was healthy, he was siphoning away touches, much to the chagrin of people who were rostering Pollard for that exact reason. So I, I wholeheartedly agree with you. Um, we'll talk about this next week more as we're going over specific players. Uh, you know, off the top of my head, I have no idea who is taking Damon Pierce in round four. It will not be me. But like, uh, there are those types of guys at receiver, running back, all throughout the different drafts that I'll, I'll be really interested to kind of go like a expose style. Uh, as we're doing a best ball ourselves and deploying these strategies. One final question, Jim, uh, before we round at the end of the podcast, tight ends specifically, it's been a frustrating position over a number of years, especially if you don't have Travis Kelsey. So sucks to be 11 other managers over the past couple of years. <laughs> it's going to be that same problem again, just looking at the list of names. Cause you have Kelsey, number one, Mark Andrews, number two, Kittle, number three, even number four for, I think a lot of people is going to be unconventional, at least on our side of Dallas got our, uh, Dallas Guyers four, Darren Waller five, Kyle Pitts six, Hawkinson at seven, at least in my mind, would present some value. But that is the line because after Hawkinson at seven, you have Firemuth, David Njoku, Evan Ingram, great for the last four or five weeks. Taysom Hill on our site is listed as number 11 at the tight end position. Interesting enough, Cole Komet, Dalton Schultz, uh, Okonkwo for the Titans, uh, Gerald Everett, Greg Dulcich. I mean, like after Hawkinson at seven, there is a clear tier drop. And I feel like there's a very clear tier drop after Dallas Goddard at four, who seems to be in his own tier in itself. So how are you doing the tight end position right now, knowing you're investing so many resources at wide receiver uh, and that you want to have a certain figure of running backs after the first uh, six or seven rounds? It's a lot of tear drops. I'm going to wipe my eye here. <laughs> <laughs> somebody somebody uh, cut some onions up, right? Uh, is yes. that a good enough dad joke? Is that what we're doing right now? Is we've yes. got that portion of the podcast? Of course. So <laughs> I am trying when I can to get one of those top six tight ends. I'm not going to go crazy, but usually Darren Waller's falling. 
I've had him fall two different drafts. Like he's fallen. He's a lottery ticket at this point. He's 31 years old. Um, he could be done. He could miss time. But the Giants brought him in. They paid him. They probably have a plan to use him heavily. So if he's on the field, he's a wide receiver, you know, and I don't think he's going to be blocking a whole lot. So, I mean, you know, that's fine. George, Kittle, I, maybe that serious XM draft, I, I want to say he fell. And I just, he was at a point where I'm like, oh my gosh, Kittle's sitting there. Fine. But as you're talking about later, yeah, it's basically take a couple tight ends because they're lottery tickets like Joe, you're intimating. They're falling because they have clear issues. Take two of them that you feel have upside. And if you're in a best ball draft, take a third one later. You you got to you got to have multiple shots here because if you don't have a one that's going to get premium scoring, most likely, you got to throw three darts. Two's yeah, not I, enough. I, I like that a lot. And actually, uh, shout out to Morgan, one of our uh, Rotoware interns who I was working with today. We were we were writing practice notes, uh, and I think we talked about Will Disley. And I'm not sure if you recall this since it was it feels like a lifetime ago, but for the first four weeks, I think Will Disley was tight end five or six. He had three touchdowns in the first yes. weeks of the season. Yes. There are tight ends in each like section of the NFL season who you could describe that for. David Njoku, who's tight end eight on our list right now, qualified for that too. Evan Ingram at the postseason, same thing. It, there, there are, are there's such little uh, opportunities to really jump up in a tight end section from a face perspective that one score or a stretch of scores could have you be tight end 14 all the way up to tight end five or six uh, when it's all said and done. And if you do have two or three tight ends uh, in addition to your stud guy, you're you're getting the opportunity to have an advantage at the position and also taking away the dice roll for the other guys who who could be hoping for a touchdown production too. That was the other part. It's funny. I never wrote this down in the, our, you know, our, our document. We never talked about this beforehand. If there's one overall best ball strategy advantage I feel like you could have this year, it was going after multiple tight ends because of that touchdown advantage you could be getting, that the, the Will Disley of whatever it is for the first quarter of the season, halfway through the season, three-fourths of the season. I think that really is kind of an unmined area uh, because we don't know a lot of these names and not sexy in the same way that Jalen Waddles of the world are receiver or whatever your, your pet running back might be. But I think the tight end spot really can make a big difference this season. It absolutely can. And so, like we said, we're going to take those dart throws. If you're looking in that borderline tight end one range, you know, Cole Komet, I mean, he sure. has good chemistry at Justin Fields. They've got two very fast receivers and DJ Moore and Darnell Mooney. And that field is going to be stretched. It's going to be open. It looks like they want to throw more. It looks like it. They may not, but right now all indications are they are. That means the middle of the field is going to be open. Fields likes Komet. Juwan Johnson, Adam Troutman's mm. gone. I know they're bringing in Foster Moreau. Not really worried about that. Juwan Johnson was a converted wide receiver. He was always going to take a few years to pop. Last year, he did show some very good sign of 50-yard games, a good number of them in a row. Uh, Chicky Okonkwo, we talk about him. I think he's he's way more than a tight end. I saw him line up outside and beat like a corner for a touchdown. Uh, he can play. So, I mean, he, may be a big, he may be the second-best receiver on that team. Irv Smith's been a career disappointment. Injuries, lack of performance. The year we thought we had a breakout, he missed the whole season. But look, he's playing with Joe Burrow. And defenses are going to be terrified of Jamar Chase, T. Higgins, and there's also Tyler Boyd. There's going to be a lot of room wide open in the middle of the field. And he has, like, nobody. Devin Asiasi and Drew right. Sample behind him. So, I mean, if Irv Smith can somehow keep his limbs intact – he, he has to stumble into 400 yards. That, that's my favorite one um, by far. We talked about Jake Ferguson in the past podcast too. Yep. The Cowboys really never addressed that, the tight end position. I like Ferguson fits that. Uh, I will have him. He's the Daniel Bellinger of the 30 round NFFC draft. That I talked about last year. Like you'll be able to get Jake Ferguson. I think he's going to produce uh, wherever you end up getting him. But Irv Smith is probably my favorite one right now. And if there's an award for, Oh, I had no idea that guy left the team and joined somebody else. Uh, and you were to say the front runner for that award um, would be Al Robinson to the Steelers. I feel like Irv Smith is probably second in that regard. A super underrated, uh, under the radar signing. We know how Hayden Hurst was a factor, and I know that was when T. Higgins was hurt or Tyler Boyd was out. But they use the tight end position a lot, and Irv Smith is better than Hayden Hurst. I know Irv Smith hasn't played a whole lot, but he is better player wise and can do everything blocking wise and receiving. 
of my of my dice roll tight ends, he's absolutely my favorite. Although you hit on a number of them, I think Irv Smith uh, is right up there. So that does it for us on the on the Wednesday edition of the Roto NFL Podcast. Again, brought to you by Circus Sports. Again, over the next couple of weeks, we're going to be diving into more of these strategy elements. Uh, for redraft for the bigger contests like the NFFC, uh, which you'll be doing in the upcoming weeks here. I think next week we'll be talking specifically some of the players that we like from the best ball uh, situations we've seen over the coming weeks and days. So uh, a lot more content to come, a lot more planning in the fantasy sports sphere to come. I'm excited to get us kind of bridged to that gap uh, that early June, late June, where we really start to have that itch drafting wise. I know you and I do already, Jim, because we're, we're crazy in that regard, but uh, looking forward to that period and, and kind of tiding everyone over in the meantime. So again, next week, more best ball conversations with players we're targeting and liking. Uh, thank you everyone for listening. Uh, that does it for us.